0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Table podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Darrell Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. God doesn't care how the, the Dow Jones is doing. God cares how the poor are doing, how the widows and the orphans, the most vulnerable are doing.
1: This is a podcast about two things, helping those with urgent needs in front of us today and improving the road so others can walk it safely in the future. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, a podcast where we're learning how to do good better. I'm Kent Annen, co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. and I'm joined by my colleagues, Jamie Aiton and Laura Finch. To explore how we can more effectively love our neighbors, from everyday acts of kindness to the most complex humanitarian challenges facing the church and society today. Joining us today is Shane Claiborne, a prominent speaker, activist, and best-selling author. Shane heads up red-letter Christians, a movement of folks who are committed to living as they say, as if Jesus meant the things he said. Shane just spent a few days participating in the We the People ride along the southern border, A storytelling effort to meet the people who live along the border, serve one another on the border, and those who work along the border, as well as those who have the best way forward for our immigration and border practices. Shane, welcome. It's good to be here with you, my friend.
0: Yeah, pumped to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, Jamie and I are really excited to be talking with you, and um, tell us a little bit more about this We the People ride. What's the the big picture uh, and purpose of it?
0: Wow. Well, I'm just excited to be a part of it. There's a lot of people that are a part of this uh, and Red Letter Christians and a whole bunch of other groups work together with uh, Vote Common Good and uh, all kinds of folks to organize this. So it's a 3,200 mile bike ride along the southern border from California uh, to Florida. And, you know, part of the whole point is, I, I guess, to exercise our bodies a little bit, but also to um, be in proximity to some of the groups that are navigating the humanitarian crisis on the border to hear different perspectives. You know, we, we met with a lot of asylum seekers and refugees, but we also met with Border Patrol. We try, tried to hear, you know, uh, different people's perspectives. Um, and we met with a whole lot of amazing groups in Mexico and Uh, on on the U.S. side that are trying to show love and hospitality to really vulnerable folks and uh, to advocate for some changes that we need on policy so we do a better job at welcoming uh, the widows and the orphans, as Jesus said.
2: And Shane, right before we got started, I think you were telling us that you are planning to ride all 3,200 miles. Is that accurate?
0: (laughs) I'm writing as we (laughs) talk, uh, in fact. Uh, uh, No. (laughs) <laughs> I, um, there are, there are a few folks that are doing the whole thing. My buddy, Doug Padgett's one of those. Uh, but there are a lot of folks that are coming for legs of that, you know, in solidarity. And that's what I did. I'm actually hoping to get back down there. The ride concludes in the middle of November. So I've got a couple weeks to try to get back down, but I did about a hundred miles and I'll, I'll, have to tell you before this ride, my record was probably about a 35 mile day on a bike ride. And, uh, so I, we, we did a, solid 60 something miles in one day. And I did, uh, you know, over a hundred over the few days I was down there. And, you know, some days are really ambitious on the riding and other days, like there are a few days that we just rode a few miles because we met with all kinds of amazing folks. So it's a, you know, that's, that's part of the, the biking adventure down there.
1: And tell us a little bit more about some of the conversations. So you talked about border patrol people, others who are affected by What's happening? You're stopping and you're having conversations. Are you having a conversation with people on the other side of the border, or this is really gathering uh, perspective of those on the U.S. side of the border who are wrestling with, you know, how welcoming, how much security, all these kind of issues that come up
0: around the border? Yeah. So we the the whole ride you can track it at we the people ride uh, dot com or dot org. I think there <laughs> we the people ride and. Um, uh, you can see all the different groups that that folks have been meeting with, but when I was there, I mean, it was a power-packed few days. So we, um, they had just met with folks who had actually been given citations and fines for putting water um, in the desert along the route that many, you know, immigrants and asylum seekers take. Uh, groups like No More Deaths that have been really prominently in the news. Some have been given felony charges for. Um, Showing hospitality. And many of them have argued what we argued in Philadelphia when we were arrested for sharing food with homeless people against, you know, ordinances that our city passed. They argued that it's a violation of our religious freedom, which is a really powerful argument to say, you know, uh, that we can't share water or put water in the desert for folks that might need it um, is literally. Uh, um, standing in stark contrast to Matthew twenty-five, where Jesus says, "When I was thirsty, did you give me something to drink?" So these are people that are doing compassionate, um, charitable work, like like this podcast is all about. But they are also people who are about justice. You know, who want to rethink the whole road to Jericho, so that people aren't dying in the desert. Um, so I we we had one of the the really powerful images you can see is a. Uh, border communion service, right? Mm-hmm. So folks on the Mexico side met with folks on the U.S. side and sang worship songs uh, over the border wall and then served each other communion by passing the bread through the border wall. So to me, that was a really poignant uh, example of what the whole thing's about and literally what our faith is about. You know, when we're called to be born again, it's an invitation to see that that we have um something that connects us that's deeper than bio- biology than just our biological family or DNA something you know that runs deeper than nationalism or patriotism and this idea that we're born again as Jesus said means that if someone's suffering on the other side of that wall it's as tragic as if it were our own mother or son or daughter and that's uh, that's what I was you know thinking about the whole time we're biking down there
2: Well, Shane, you know, one of the things that we've been seeing a lot in the news lately is a lot of conversation about how are we as a country um, responding to immigration issues? And there's also been some very disturbing recent images, such as with um, people from Haiti who were hoping to be able to come into the States with the Border Patrol responding. would be curious to hear what was maybe a surprising conversation that you had uh, with someone from the Border Control.
0: Uh, well, we ended up uh, seeing these military vehicles that were along our ride. And, um, and you know, I wasn't expecting that. I expected, you know, the border patrol, but these were actually Army folks that, um, it, it, I mean, it literally looked like some of the borders I saw in Iraq and Afghanistan when I was over there. And I didn't know that we had full, you know, we, we met with an Army sergeant who talked about um, serving as a military service member placed on our border there. And I asked him about his faith and he talked a little bit about it. And then I asked him if he ever felt like he um, was conflicted, you know, like uh, he's apprehending folks, sometimes women and children, that are really trying to find, uh, to, to escape some pretty terrible things. And I said, do you ever feel conflicted? And he he kind of very respectfully said, I'm, I'm not really allowed to have an opinion on it. Um, and, and, you know, my heart really sunk as I listened to him because you can tell everybody's got an opinion, but it's gotta be tough to be put in situations where we might, um, feel like we're compromising our own morality or faith or convictions. Um, and so I think, you know, it humanized that for me, we're putting people in really difficult positions, um, you think of what happened in Del Rio with the Haitian families that were there, many of them Haitian families. You look at these families that we met on the border, and um, uh, it's just heart-wrenching. you know. And, and, and that's why I think this is not just a, a left or right thing. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing. I mean, welcoming immigrants and refugees, welcoming the stranger, as Jesus said, that's a, that's a God thing. It's a Jesus thing. It's a love thing. Uh, so we've we've got to do better. Literally, I believe we will be, we will all come before God, and God's going to ask us: When I was a stranger, did you welcome me? When I was an immigrant, a refugee, like how did you treat me? Because what you did to the least of these, you did to me.
1: Shane, you're involved in kind of different issues. Uh, the time I've known you, you know, in Philadelphia, you've worked a lot on the death penalty recently, you know, there are lots of different things happening in the world. What was it about the border that? Uh, made you want to get involved in this issue during this time
0: well i, I think one of the very consistent threads it, it, throughout the bible is that we are to welcome the foreigner um and that that you know as as the it says in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament that we're to welcome the foreigner as if they were our own flesh and blood, because we ourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. I mean, literally, we're to welcome folks as if they were our own family. Um, and of course, Jesus is when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. We look at Hebrews, and it says uh, there that that we are to show hospitality to to uh, the stranger, and we might be entertaining angels unawares as we do it. You know, so I mean, this is holy work. So this isn't just a political burden. It's a gospel invitation. And I think that's that's what, um, uh, and you know, even as we look at history, I think it's important to say that some of our highest numbers of refugees and immigrants have been welcomed under Republican presidents. But some of the lowest numbers. We're under Donald Trump, and now we're set to even have lower numbers than that under Biden. So I'm very concerned about the trajectory of our um, compassion and hospitality to those who, uh, you know, whether it's folks coming from Afghanistan now. Or, you know, many Christians are good at, cons- you know, being concerned about persecuted Christians in places like Syria. But as soon as they want to come here to escape that persecution, uh, sometimes we're less welcoming than than we might should be. So I think, you know, this raises some really fundamental questions about our faith. Um, and, and, and literally, I think it, it's also a part of the criteria for uh, Jesus, you know, in Matthew 25 saying this is, you know, this is a real test of our faith is how it manifests itself in hospitality to the stranger and care for those who are hungry and thirsty in our world. I think, Jane,
1: yeah, as you say that, I think it's a really important point just to underline that it's not this kind of issue just isn't about them. You know, like people on the other side of the border or the Haitian migrants who follow this unbelievable path down to South America and up like that. That should be enough to move us. But it's not just about that. It's about who we are as people, who we are as Christians, who we are as people of faith, who we are as Americans. So it, I, I do feel like it's a um, it, yeah, this is the issue about who who are we and who are we going to become. And I, I like how you said that. I think it's really important to underline.
0: Yeah.
2: And Shane, curious, what are some of the ways that people can get involved with the, the campaign right now?
0: Well, folks can definitely check out, we're, we're, everybody's pretty active on uh, social media and, and uh, the website We the People Ride. Uh, we the people ride and we're you know real active on um, pretty much everything Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and stuff so you can see a lot of the stories and the groups that we've been meeting with we're also doing everything that we can to support them financially and amplify the voices of folks doing really heroic work on the border Uh, there's so many different groups I mean we we met with um, you know, Franciscans and full habits, and they knew about the St. Francis Inn in Philadelphia that we're connected with. So, I mean, the world's kind of shrunk. You see these people that are just doing amazing work. Um, one of the places that we, we went, um, they have made an agreement um, with the Border Patrol that when someone's apprehended, instead of going into a jail or detention center, they bring them to this mission. And it was amazing because these folks really see what they're doing is sacramental. So they're they're sometimes seeing people as soon as they've been apprehended, um, dehydrated you know, from the journey in the desert. Sometimes this is many, many months long that they've been traveling to try to get there. And of course, some of their dreams are dashed as they have been hoping to get over the border and they've been um, taken into custody. But even while we were there, there were folks coming in. And um, we're hearing these stories, you know, that are just, they just rip your heart out. You know, this one woman is in a wheelchair and they said it's because she, she's elderly and she was um, being helped over the wall, but fell and broke her pelvis, you know, and you sort of think like... How is an, an elderly woman, why are they coming over this wall? And this is not just, you know, I mean, that, that's why I think we've heard this language of, oh, these are all rapists and murderers or, I mean, whatever, things I don't even want to say, you know, uh, gang members. I mean, this this is an elderly woman who's now in a wheelchair. She just kind of was was coming over the wall. and We heard these stories one after another. One of the folks that we, one of the things that we did in this, this mission that we we visited, was they had had someone who had died recently in their care. And that had never really happened on site. Usually they're able to nurse someone back to life, get them an IV, whatever they need, you know. Um, but they've set up hundreds of crosses that are put in the desert where people have died with the names and the ages and things of, about them. But they had never had to put one on their property. So we, we actually... Um, uh, um, uh, did a memorial to this uh, young man who had died in their their care, and we put a cross on the property there. And um, I, you know, was able to share in that that uh, um, service. I, I actually read uh, uh, from uh, the Book of Romans about how. Uh, it it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor debt, you know, angels nor demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I said, no matter how big this wall gets or how firmly it's established, like uh, you can't stop love and you can't stop compassion. And we will find ways to share God's love over this wall. So, um, you know that we, we heard a lot of stories while we were there and it was it was incredible
1: it's going off that like that the the, the um, wall can't stop love and then think about knowing you for a while traveling to haiti together being involved in these different issues I wanted to step back a bit because I really admire your work and think um, what is the way that you think change on these things happen long term so when I teach it in class we call it the theory of change but but I think another way to think is just how does change happen? Because some are going to go more towards policy. Some it's about relationships, something else. Like where is when you think about how am I going to try to help shift us as a country about how we think about the border? How do you think long term real change happens?
0: Well, you know, can't uh, like proximity makes all the difference in the world, right? That's why coming to Haiti and being with your people, you know, seeing all these incredible Haitian leaders and mission, you know, missional work happening down there. Like, and the stories of people who have been, really crushed by our policies like that makes all the difference in the world so i mean i I think part of the whole story of jesus is about a god who becomes proximate right who puts skin on moves into the neighborhood who is born in a brown-skinned refugee body in the middle of really oppressive policies as herod was killing young people and you know separating kids from their families i mean so some of this stuff is is about God's solidarity with the suffering and our invitation to follow Jesus into the suffering and to be near to those who are being crushed by our policies. And uh, so, you know, one of the one of the the, the stories that I mean, it literally, I I can't stop thinking about it was this young man who had just hours before um, been taken into custody and we're, we're hearing him. I mean, he's in his twenties. I'm not going to share his name or any like specific details, but he, uh, you know, we said, tell us just a little of your story if you want to. And he, he, um, he said, well, he lived on this little remote Island in South America that depended on the cruise lines, right. Uh, to economically. And so when COVID happened, the economy collapsed and they were literally, um, struggling to make it. I mean, for bare essentials, food and things that they needed that um, they, they had never struggled like that. And his daughter needed healthcare. She needed a, a medical procedure. And he's like, you know, any dad, what, what what would you do? Right? He kind of throws that question back to us. And he said, I, I obviously didn't want to do something illegal. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find, so he's trying everything he knew. And he said, so then I heard, you know, that, that there might be opportunity if I went north. And so he wanted to get into um, the U.S. to try to find some income for his family so his daughter could have this medical procedure. And I mean, I can't tell his whole story. You know, we don't. Quite have time, but he, you know, we said, "How much time did you think it would take?" And he said, "I thought it would take a couple weeks, maybe, to get from where he was to the border." And it ended up taking months and months, and thousands of dollars that you know he's he's having to pay at checkpoints and to keep from being taken into gangs and things like that. He saw people die, you know, on the beast as they call it, the the train. That uh, uh, hundreds. He said there were probably six, five or six hundred people that were trying to get onto this train. And so he eventually made it and he starts to dehydrate when he can see the border, right? He begins to get over the border and um, he's dehydrating. And he said, there was a gas station, but there's all these border patrol there. So I was literally thirsting to death as I'm looking at a water source. And so they found this like little kid's pool, it sounded like, that he was able to drink water out of and, and continue the journey. Finally ended up making it through. He saw multiple dead bodies, you know, as he's going through this really treacherous journey. Um, for And he said, the whole time, what kept me alive was my faith, praying to God, and my daughter thinking of of this medical procedure he eventually collapsed from dehydration and that's when he was apprehended and came to us and you know i mean like we're sitting down with this guy and you're just like i mean this is it right this is what we're talking about and um at the end of the day like th- this this crisis on our border our lack of uh ability to to to, to take action and, and create a path for asylum seekers and a path to citizenship and opportunity for folks is, I mean, it really is a spiritual crisis. I, I think this is, you know, to me, some folks would say, well, this is political. And I would say love, love, to love our neighbor as ourself means that we can't ignore policies, right? To, that, that, you know, politics aren't going to save every, they're, they're not going to solve everything. But, you know, Martin Luther King said, we do need to change policies. A law can't make you love me, but it can make it harder for you to kill me. <laughs> so we, we need laws that can make it easier for, for people to flourish. You know, we need to have laws that can make it um, more hospitable to folks like this young man who's trying to, you know, have a surgery for his daughter.
2: And Shane, as people are listening, you know, you talked in your theory of change here about really thinking about this also from a policy level. What what are some maybe basic or tangible ways that maybe somebody listening could help to take action to be part of that change at that particular level, at the policy level?
0: Well, first, I think we shouldn't be ashamed of our faith. You know, I think we should actually write as Christians to many of our politicians, to write as people of conscience who are deeply concerned, who are fueled by love. And, and, and to I think we need to be really specific on some of these policies, like raising the refugee ceiling, um, uh, uh, ending the stay in Mexico policy, right? That these encampments of hundreds of families that some of them said they're 15, their number is 15,000 on a waiting list to just have a hearing and 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 what they hear is that the only way you're going to come before a court is if you cross illegally then you're kind of you kind of actually get ahead of the line if you wait for fifteen thousand to come up you're going to be there for, for years and so i think we just need a better process um and there's things like you know the, the dreamers, the young people who were born in our country, we, we need to some of them are leading businesses. They're graduating from college for the love of everything. We need to create a way that they can be full citizens um, and uh, that we can you know, make that easier for folks. And, and I think two, two quick things I would say is we need to challenge the idea of scarcity. We have a God of abundance. And so so there's so many people that are saying these folks are taking our jobs. Everywhere I look, there's folks that are hiring. So I think we need to like really challenge this idea of scarcity. And if we really want to challenge the inequity, we should look at the disparity between the super rich and the super poor. Because as Gandhi said, there's enough for everyone's need, but there isn't enough for everyone's greed. You know, and when you have folks that are making $3,000 Three thousand dollars a second. Three thousand dollars a second. That's what Jeff Bezos is making, right? Like who at the 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 wealth of fifty countries combined. Like that's really, I think, some of the challenges that we should we should be thinking about. But in the end, like God doesn't care how the the Dow Jones is doing. God cares how the poor are doing, how the widows and the orphans, the most you know vulnerable, are doing. Um, and, and the final thing I think we should challenge is the idea. Uh, that, of fear, right? This fear mongering uh, that when fear is compelling our policies, whether it's on guns or immigration, we do really terrible, hurtful things to people. So I think the question all of us can ask is what would it look like if love were the compelling force shaping our, our thinking on immigration? Uh, or many other issues, you know, because the scripture is very clear that perfect love casteth out fear. And these are, I think, competing forces in America right now, love and fear. And we have a choice. You know, we can choose love or we can choose fear, but they're like, you know, opposite magnets. I don't think we can choose both.
1: Thanks. Those are all fantastic, encouraging thoughts. One final question for you, Shane, kind of along these lines and love. So as you... Like I've always known you to be a really positive person. You're creative. You step into these hard issues that take either issues that take years, decades, sometimes to uh, work on and fix. Uh, how do you sustain hope? Like when you look at that, I think as I've talked with a lot of people, and I'll put talk with a lot of people, including talking with myself. You know, there are these moments when see uh, situation in Haiti, see the border, see Afghanistan. Um, And it can be a bit discouraging. And thinking about climate change, you know, in in the midst of that, what keeps you um, hopeful? I mean, I know it's your faith in following Christ, it's your proximity and love with people, but say a little bit more about practices that help to keep you hopeful when you step into hard, complex issues. And we'll close with that.
0: Well, well, yeah. So I I love talking about hope. And I I think part of what gives me hope is by being near to folks who have suffered so deeply. I mean, I even think of when we were in Haiti, Kent, and that family that I stayed with, with a tin roof, you know, it began raining in the night. And this woman came out and put a little bucket to catch the water that was dripping so that it wouldn't drip on me. I mean, and and that kind of hospitality. She went and gathered, you know, uh, fresh coffee and eggs from the chickens next, but you know, nearby, and cooked this breakfast. And I mean, we saw that same love on the border, right? We saw these twenty-year-olds mm-hmm. that were were making food for dozens and dozens of asylum seekers. And this twenty-year-old said, "Yeah, my friends, they all say, why, why why aren't why aren't you out partying?" And he's like, "I just tell him, this is my party, y'all. <laughs> this is the kind of party that, as a follower of Jesus, this, this is this is the party that Jesus, you know, w- wants to go to, where we're we're you know cooking food for folks that are really really hungry. So I mean, I you know even on the border wall, it was fascinating because on the U.S. side, it's very uh, ugly. I mean, you see all this barbed wire, you see all this uh, some some places four layers of wall, like different types of fencing that we put up and people's clothing that's ripped you know as they've they've climbed through the barbed wire but on the mexico side you see art there was a a gate that i posted that is opening and it was weird it's wild because as you ride your bike by it it's it's actually almost feels like a it's in motion you know as you drive by it, it the the gate almost appears to open because of the ways that it's it's painted on the wall it was just amazing you see all these different one of them was the the the, the wall was disappearing into um Butterflies, which was also explained to me that you know migrate through across the border, and so it's just—I mm. mean—all of this, uh, these beautiful images painted on the wall. So that 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 hope abounds. I think, especially in the places that we might be inclined to think are the most hopeless, but they're not. They're they're filled with that gospel hope, um, and and we know the end of this story is that. That God is near to the suffering and that suffering doesn't get the last word. You know, that that Jesus exposed all the pain and all the violence as He died on the cross, but He subverted that with love and forgiveness in an empty tomb. And so I, I you know, stand on that promise. And and so I, I love that old hymn that my my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand, you know. And I, I think there's a lot of sinking sand these days. I think there's a lot of sinking sand in the Republicans and the Democrats. So my hope is not the donkey or the elephant, but in the lamb. And I think that's what we need right now. We need to, to, to really claim that things like how we welcome immigrants are not just partisan issues, but these go to the very heart of our faith. Um, and and uh, so I hope you know more and more Christians will uh, uh, really see this uh, not just as another political issue, but as a gospel mandate and an invitation to entertain angels as we welcome the foreigner.
2: Well, Shane, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing just this remarkable journey that you've been on, um, in your ministry and for really helping, I think those who are listening to leave with a better sense of hope and ways to take action. So thank you so much for being a part of our podcast.
0: Absolutely. Let's do it again. sometime. Yes. Thank you, Shane. I think I, I'm excited. we I
1: appreciate how you invite us into that. The best party of all the kingdom of God party. That's what I, that's one that's of the it, things man. I'm leaving with. It's so fantastic. <laughs> Great being with you, Shane.
0: You too. Thanks, y'all.
2: Thanks for listening to the Better Samaritan podcast. You can find links to the things we mentioned during this episode in the show notes. And special thanks to The Brilliance for this fantastic music theme. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. You can also follow the Humanitarian Disaster Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you next week as we continue learning to do good better.